I want to lay some ground this morning. We're going to, we're going to be in 1 Kings 17, so you can go ahead and turn there. Um, but I'm preaching this morning a message called First Things First, the principle behind supernatural provision and protection. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. Now, I love this verse because sometimes Christians have a way of spiritualizing life. In other words, we get saved and then someday, all these things are happening someday. But how many of you know the gospel is concerned about life? Everything that pertains to life, meaning Jesus Christ died to resource us with everything that we need to live a godly life. That was the other part, life and godliness. How many of you know we've been saved to be conformed into the image of his son? So how many of you have figured out life has a way of, of helping with godliness? Because life has a way of squeezing us and causing us to get into situations where we have to continually go before the Lord to get what we need. And when we have to do that, we keep growing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So life and godliness naturally go together. But here's my point. God has given us everything that we need to be the kind of people he's called us to be and to finish the destiny he has over your life. Anybody excited about that? That's the truth. Everything you need is found in Christ for life and for godliness or Christ's likeness. That's good news. Also, how many of you know the Old Testament is not a book that, or a covenant that we need to just push to the side because now we're living in the New Testament? The Old Covenant was written, the Bible says, for our example to help us learn from how God demonstrated himself in the past so that we can apply those same principles to our lives today. Y'all with me? You say, well, pastor, where does it say that? Well, how about 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11? These things, talking about situations in the old covenant, happen to them as examples for us today, New Testament believers. So when you're reading uh, what God did in the past, some, some Christians think God was a certain way under the old covenant and a different way under the new covenant. But the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means if you read an account in the, under the old covenant of something God did, it's so we can learn from it. And how many know if he did it then, it means he can do it now? Are you guys awake out there? Are everybody out there? Come on. You got to talk to yourself. You got to get the lion. I need the lion awakening in your lungs this morning. So my goal every week is the same. As your shepherd, I want to inspire faith in your heart. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes, uh, inspires through the Word of God. So we hear the Word of God and inspires faith in our heart. Everybody with me on that? I want you to be inspired. Let me say something else. I'm just I'm laying the preface before I, I dive into one of my life messages, all right? Something that's very, very important. How many of you remember when Israel was wanting a king, and Samuel was feeling kind of bad about it, and God said, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me, and Samuel was ticked with what was going on with Israel, and he actually stood up, and this is what he basically said, I'm paraphrasing. He said, have I ever defrauded any of you? They said, have, have I ever not been a man of God or tried to lead you well or serve you well or care for you well? And of course, they, basically what he said is if he looked at the course of his life, he has been a good shepherd, a great prophetic voice for the people, and he's, he's shared the whole counsel of God, and he's tried to bless people. I can't think of a greater model for ministry. So as your shepherd this morning, I, I want to say that's what I'm aspiring to, a Samuel-esque life. Are you with me? So that when, the, when you come to the end of your journey, you can say, Pastor loved us. He spoke the truth to us. He cared about us. He did not defraud us. He, did, he was not gimmicky. He wasn't a shyster. He had pure motives. He really, really 
really loved us. Can I get an amen on that? So, so y'all got to help me with that, all right? So I say, I say all that because if you don't know me and you're brand new here, you needed to hear that. Let me ask you this question. In the year 2022, this year, how many times have I preached about the nasty topic of finances? Let me help you. So I don't want anybody saying, oh, all churches talk about is money. All churches talk. No, 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 no. We're, we're talking today about a principle that's bigger than money. It's called the principle of putting first things first. And it is a principle that will set you up for blessing. Now, let me just share something else with you. Many people say they believe certain things. But you don't really believe what you profess to believe until it's active in your life. So what I'm telling you is this message is six decades uh, of work in my life, okay? I'm not preaching out of theory. I'm not preaching out of hypotheticals. I'm not preaching something I don't practice. What I'm sharing with you today, I have lived for six decades in my life, give or take, minus the uh, newborn season, all right? Um, but but so, so what I'm trying to tell you is this is the truth. I've seen this happen. It's the truth not because of my experience. It's the truth because it's God's word. But it's also the truth because this principle works, and that's what I'm attesting to this morning. One of our core values here at Living Stones is kingdom generosity. We believe that God wants to provide so much for us that we're able to overflow into the lives of other people. And generosity, if you want to be God-like, I can't think of a quality that's, that, that encompasses the heart of God more than generosity. I mean, God is a giver, and he's generous in his love and his affection, his kindness to us, and he's generous in his provision over our lives. So the Bible says where your treasure is, that's where you'll find a person's heart. And this message, I believe, has the power this morning to really change your life forever. So I'm, 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 I'm ramping up to it um, for good reason, because I believe it's that important, and I want you to hear my heart. Turn with me, 1 Kings chapter 17, amazing passage of Scripture. I, I've entitled this portion, Widows and Recessions. Widows and recessions. Now, if you're paying any kind of attention, and I know you all are, you get your paycheck and you start heading out and you start buying groceries. Anybody have that scary experience recently? Um, things are out of control. Gasoline prices, out of control. Simple thing, my wife keeps saying, honey, I need to sit down with you because I'm not sure if you know how much things are costing. And I don't know how much things are costing because she largely shoulders going to the grocery store and buying the food that we need. And so she says, you, you, you just need to know this. How I many you know God knows what's going on in our economy? He also knows that what's going on in our economy is leadership created. Uh, and, uh, and it can be solved. But the deeper issue is God understands recessions. And how many of you know God cares about widows? God cares about the disenfranchised. He cares about the poor. He cares about the hurting. In fact, he says that's what true religion is, that you care for widows and orphans and you care for people in need. So I just want to scream this loudly and clearly this morning as God's people. He knows you. He sees you. He knows everything about you. He cares for you, and he cares for your needs. All right? He knows what your pocketbook is. He knows the way prices are going. He cares. And I also want to quickly add, we care as a church family. We care. So let's take a look. We're starting with verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and, live, uh, go, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. 
And as he arrived the gates, uh, at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, oh, by the way, also, bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I mean, you know, this is a dire situation. I, I want to bring this home. Not a piece of bread in the entire house. They're in the midst of a, of a three-year, give or take, famine. I don't know where they are in the middle of it, but this is, this is where they are. It's a terrible famine. She said, I don't even have a piece of bread. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the very bottom of the jug, just a tiny little bit of cooking oil. The jug's almost empty. She said, I was gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And listen to this. This, this is her future then my son and I will die. This is a terrible situation. We're not talking about a minor recession. This is a crisis situation. She has nothing left. This is the final little tiny meal she's going to prepare, and then her full intention is that she and her son are going to die due to starvation. Look at what the Lord says next, verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you've said but listen to this audacious claim. Make a little bread for me first. Everybody say first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. Look at verse 15. This is faith. So she did. Everybody say that with me. So she did. Say it again. So she did. As Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. Look at verse 16. There was always enough. Say that phrase with me again. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Now, I want to drive this point home again. Her husband is dead. She's a single mom. She's a widow. She's raising her son, and she's literally at the end of the rope. There's nothing to eat. How I many of this is about as serious as it can get? So the man of God shows up, and what's the first thing the man of God asks for? Water. It hasn't rained in years. And he asks for water. Now, I know Christians in the body of Christ who would automatically be offended that Elijah was being so selfish. He's asking this woman for water, and she's just about ready to die. She's, she's got nothing. Why would a man of God ask her for water? And then while she leaves to get water, which is like liquid gold, he says, and by the way, bring me some food. Cook me up a little something in the kitchen. Now, can we just be real? I know people that right away would be offended that, that this guy is acting that way. Why would he make this kind of demand? Doesn't he understand this woman's situation? If he's a man of God, why would he be selfish? But how I many you know this is not just Elijah? This is Elijah, the prophet, who is here on planet Earth to represent God's heart to God's people. And God speaks, thus saith the Lord, through his prophet. And so God's really speaking through his prophet, not to bless Elijah only, but that he's speaking the word of the Lord, listen to me, to see if she'll honor God first so that he could bless her with what's coming next. It's a test. It's a test. 
And so he asked, make me a little bread first. Now, here's, what, here's a question I want to ask you guys. Do you think your pastor would be wise in the midst of hyperinflation taking off to challenge you to put God first in everything, including your finances? Do you think he would be stupid enough, audacious enough to challenge you where it hurts the most? Because let me just tell you what people do when prices start soaring and our wages stay the same. They start doing this. They start gathering, they start grabbing, they start retreating. And yet, how many know that's the direct opposite of what God's inviting this, this widow to do? He's saying, don't retreat, put me first. Put me first, put me first. Test me in this, God's saying. Put me first, prepare the meal for me first. Now, some people think that God sent Elijah to the widow so that the widow could provide for Elijah. I mean, you know, God's not concerned with providing for Elijah. He's already done a really great job of providing for Elijah. Earlier in the chapter, he used birds to provide for Elijah, a raven. And later in this book, he sends an angel to provide for Elijah. So this isn't about God providing for Elijah through a widow. This is about a widow being provided for by God through Elijah. God sent the man of God to this widow because he cares about widows and orphans and he cares about their children. Sometimes we get the story turned upside down. How is this provision going to come about? Listen to me. By faith. By faith. Go get me some water. First test. She immediately obeys. By the way, bring me back some bread. She, she then begins to share, here's my predicament. There's not a piece of bread in this house. But Elisha says, bring it to me first. And then God sets things in motion. Then God releases a promise over this widow. He says, for the duration of this famine, you'll never go without oil. You'll never go without flour. I will feed you the entire time. I mean, you know, that's a great trade. We were tempted to get angry at God or Elijah until we realize that it's not about God hoarding things or being selfish or Elijah hoarding. It's about God trying to see if a widow in her deepest time of need would release what is in her hands, believing that if she honors God first, he'll take care of her all the days of her life. Listen to me, folks. This message is not a message of hypotheticals or trying to... This, we have lived this message. I've got 60 years of history on this message. I'm speaking with authority on this message because I've lived this. And some of you are nodding your head. I'm trying to establish a principle. Can I just say something? God is not hurting financially this morning. Let me tell you something else. Because of your faithfulness and your generosity, we're not hurting at all. In fact, we're moving forward. So I just want to applaud you all and say, great job. This is not a beat you up message or a guilt message or manipulation message. Hear my heart. This is a life message that if you establish these principles in your life, you will see the goodness of God chase you down all the days of your life, and you will never go without. You will always have enough. God was desperately desirous to care for this widow and her son, but she had to be willing, listen, to honor him first. Everybody say first. Now turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. There are twin blessings that come by putting God first. Malachi chapter 3. Should people cheat God? Of course not. 
Yet you have cheated me, God says. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, God? You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings, notice, due to me. In other words, God has a demand on the tenth, the first of our fruit, due to me. He says, you're under a curse for the whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. And look what it says. Whenever the Bible says if, that's a conditional promise. That means if you do the conditions, if you meet the conditions, then you get the blessing. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army. Now, now I want you to pay notice to, to how God defines himself and reveals himself here. This is one of three times in just two verses God uses this name. The Lord of heaven's armies or the Lord of hosts. I will open the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room to take it in. This is a powerful picture. God says, if you'll honor me with the first of what I bless you with, I'll open heaven's windows. Now, how many know that's a powerful metaphor? Is there any lack in heaven? Is there any, any need in heaven? God says, I will pour out a superabundance from heaven's resources so that you'll have so much that you'll be overflowing and you'll be able to do other kinds of things and bless other people. Is that in your Bible? Did you all read that in your Bible? Yes, it is. is that the same? Did you all read that? I'm just, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm not trying to be cute. Is that in your Bible? Did, is everybody seeing that? It's in my Bible too. It's amazing. If it's not in your Bible, get the right Bible, all right? Because this is important. You're probably reading something fake. Look at what it says next. Try it. God's, God's saying, I double-dog dare you. Try it. Try it. Put me to the test. He said, your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from the insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord. There it is, Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. First blessing God promises is supernatural provision. Now, I'm just, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to shepherd you all, okay? How many of you in, uh, in unstable economic times would like to have a rock-solid provision and promise from God that you will always have enough? Okay, the rest of you, I don't know if you're not awake yet or you didn't, let me, let me say, in times of economic uncertainty, you would like to go to bed at night knowing that God's promise to you is that you're your oil will not stop and your flour won't run out. I'm just trying to be real. Is that what your Bible is? That, am I interpreting that correctly? All right. And then God says, I'll rebuke, King James Version, rebuke the devourer, which means whatever the enemy sends to attack you and to devour what belongs to you because what belongs to us belongs to him, right? We don't own anything. We're just stewards. Whenever the devil comes to attack what I'm stewarding for God, he'll rebuke him. How many of you know, when God rebukes the devourer, that's as good as it gets. When God says, I rebuke you, who is, who is he that's speaking? Three times he tells us in two verses, the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that team. I want, to, I want the general over the armies of heaven, God himself, I want to be on his team. Because he, I have this silly feeling, wins the battles all the time. He's undefeated. So hear me. I, I, I'm just try, I'm trying to shepherd you because I know this, this is where I'm messing with you this morning. Supernatural provision, for it or against it. Yes. 
All right, good. Protection, divine protection, for it or against it? Okay. So here's the rub. Why is it that we struggle with putting this into practice? It's a good question. And I won't have a show of hands, but there's not a one of us in this room at some point in life that did not struggle with honoring God with what is he blesses us, giving him the first and the best back. The question is why? Well, let's try to find some answers. Let's try to find some answers. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived, and she bore Cain. She said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, just a little side note here, which I think is kind of cool. Many theologians believe that Cain and Abel were twins because notice the language. It says she conceived and she gave birth, first of all, to, uh, to Cain. And then it says she gave birth again. It doesn't say she conceived and gave birth. Many times in the Bible when there's multiple children, it says the, the person conceived and then she gave birth. It doesn't say that. It just says she conceived and then she gave birth and then she gave birth again. So it's kind of interesting that Cain and Abel might be a prophetic twin picture of how we live either a blessed life or a cursed life. So pay attention. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought uh, of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the, listen, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was really ticked with God. Ever been there? He was angry and says his face fell, which is a nice way of saying he got the pouty lip going. Have you ever been offended with God? Have you ever been upset with God? Have you ever been ticked with God? Cain is all of the above. Now, let's just, let's just process this, because I believe we have a picture here of two different heart conditions. What's going on with the heart of Cain? Well, how many know the New Testament speaks of these people? So when we go to the New Testament, it provides a clear picture of what's going on in the Old Testament, if maybe it doesn't go there. So let's take a look. What is, does the Bible talk about Cain in the New Testament? Yes, it does. Jude chapter 1, verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone the defiant way of Cain, and for profit they have run headlong into the error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of mutinous Korah. There's three words that describe verse 11, defiance, greed, and rebellion. What's going on in Cain's heart? Defiance, which is where we put up the fist to God and we say, I'm going to do it my way. Greed, where we, where we live our lives this way instead of living our lives this way. And rebellion, I'm going to do it my way. Let me, let, let me paraphrase for you just because I've heard this over the years. How about this? Well, I'll bring it when I feel like it, and I'll bring what I want as it relates to giving. Let me give you the, the charismatic version. Ready for the charismatic version? I'll give however I feel led to give. Oh, that sounds really spiritual. But here's what you're saying. I'll give when I want and how I want and when I feel like it. It sounds more like defiance, greed, and rebellion to me than a heart that's truly led by the Holy Spirit. I'll give however I want, when I want. That, that sums up the attitude of Cain. But look at the heart of Abel. Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, verse 4, says this about Abel. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. 
Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us. In fact, he's speaking this morning. He still speaks to us by his example of faith. Notice the life of Abel. He is a man of faith. He is a righteous man, and I want you to see this. His lifestyle gives evidence to what he believes. Now, if I were to ask you, what do you believe about supernatural provision? I don't want to hear what you say. I want to see your checkbook. Because a person's resources are the clearest indication of what they value and what their priorities are. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's really talking to you now, right? Just turn to your neighbor. He's really talking to you now. Okay, just kind of wave at me a little bit like this if what I just said was absolutely true and you know it. Okay. Because it's true. My dad actually scared a current member of our church out of the church for a decade because he stood up one Sunday talking about discipleship and said, I don't want to hear your talk. I want to look at your checkbook and see where your priorities are. And this guy was a first-time visitor, and he goes, oh, my gosh, this pastor wants to look at my checkbook. He was gone for a decade, all right? It scared him. <laughs> it's not the church growth solution right there, right? It's no secret sensitivity there. <laughs> They're gone. But how many of you know it's true? If, if, I, if I'd let you look at my finances, you could see what I value. You'd see food on there, and I value Nipsco just like you, and I value my bank, I pay my mortgage. All those things are okay to value, but you'd also see where my money's going because it would be an indication, not talk. It'd be an indication in real life of where my priorities are. That's the kind of situation we're looking at here with Cain and Abel. God says... I'm honoring you because it says God showed approval for his gifts because he saw his offering. Look at the words there. His offering gave evidence. Here's what I want to ask you. Does your lifestyle give evidence that you put first things first in everything? Or you just quote Romans 6.33 by memory. But do, or do you really seek first the kingdom? Do you really put first things first in everything of your life? and not just talking about it. Is there evidence for that? Look at what it says in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops or your income. Then your barns will be abundantly filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. How many of you, is that in your Bible too? Do you guys have Proverbs in your Bible? I do too. That's amazing. How many of you believe that? So, so when things are getting squeezed, that's my confession. That's my confession. That's what I'm holding on to. Or you can be like Cain. You know what, what Cain did? He copped an attitude with God. Imagine this. He was offended by God. I can't believe you. You didn't receive my offering. Why didn't you receive my offering? Why did you receive my brother's offering? He was offended at God. Now listen. I know because of the size of this crowd that there's somebody that you're offended that I'm even talking about this right now. And I'm trying to help you. I am trying to help you. Pastor, how are you helping me? You're making me feel uncomfortable. I'm not making you feel uncomfortable. I'm just saying what he said. And you're uncomfortable because it hasn't come into practice yet. But I'm trying to help you 
because I love you. I don't want your money. I want you to be blessed. I want to see you grow. I want to see you experience this firsthand because I have. I could pull the how many kids do you have game, all right? And I would win in most situations here this morning. <laughs> yeah, let me just tell you, I, I want to speak to every young married couple in this room. You're having a family right now, and things are getting harder and harder to come by. Here's what I would say to you. Put this principle in your life now. Oh, but I'm trying to raise a family. Oh, and we have these little ones. Oh, they're so expensive. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. You're acting like Cain. Honor God first. First. Oh, well, God, God understands. No, that's an excuse for rebellion. God under, yes, God does understand. You don't understand he's trying to bless you. And he's trying to father you. But you keep making excuses that are veiled in greed, deception, all the other things, rebellion, defiance. You're acting like Cain. And you're saying, but God understands. That's sloppy grace. Stop it. God has ordained a certain way called first fruits to establish you financially so he can prosper you. Pastor, why are you preaching this on this standalone message? Why are you going there? Because I want to see you prosper. Some of you looking at me. Is Pastor going to take a sneak offering here at the end? No, I'm not even going to receive an offering. Stop it. It's not about the church. It's not about anything. There's no crisis. Everything's good. I'm trying to prosper you. I want you to live in supernatural vision and supernatural protection. That's what I want for you because I actually like you guys, and, and God likes you too. But Cain was offended. Now, let me just say something. This is what I love about the gospel. Good leadership doesn't tell you to do something and then not practice it themselves. Can I just tell you, this is the kind of leadership we have in Congress. They pass laws that don't apply to themselves. What kind of leadership is that? I'll tell you, terrible leadership, hypocritical leadership. Every law that Congress passed, they should have to live with. While I'm at it, Every global alarmist, if they drive a car or fly in an airplane, you little hypocrite. You absolute hypocrite. Why don't you practice what you preach? Here's what I love about the gospel. Jesus never asked us to do anything. He doesn't do first. I told you in the New Testament, Go, we go back to the Old Testament to see the, t- the patterns and the types of Jesus. So let me ask you this question. Does the Bible in the New Testament say anything about firstborn? Does that name ring up that phrase? In there? How about this? First fruits. Who is the firstborn and who is the first fruits? His name is Jesus. So listen, Cain should not be offended at God. He should be more concerned that God's offended with Cain. And let me tell you why. Go to the first verse there, one that you all know, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God, for this is how much God loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Everybody say one and only. 
He gave his one and only firstborn. He, how many of you know God gave his first and God gave his best for me and for you so that anybody who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So, so God took his firstborn like he instructed us and dedicated it to his purpose. He, he gave it away for our redemption. Let's go to the next verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. God sowed his firstborn as the firstfruits so that when Christ arose, we would follow, we would be the fruit that came out of the gift of the firstfruit. Yes, yes. Jesus is the firstfruit of God Almighty. And look at the last verse here. Colossians, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians. That, I think that should be Colossians 1, 15. Um, Typo there. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. God gave his firstborn and his best so that there would be an incredible harvest that would come later. In other words, God is operating on his own principle. So let me ask you this question. If God, should you be Cain this morning and be ticked at me that I'm talking about how to bless you, or should you be able and follow suit of what God's done and move into the blessing. Let me just share something with you. I know a lot of you don't write checks anymore. That's kind of old school, right? Everything is digital now. However you do that, that's great. But can I just tell you how I do it, and this is why I do it. I'm old school. I still got checks. When I get paid, uh, this Wednesday, I will get paid. I will write a check, my first check and my first fruit will be my gift back to the Lord of what he's blessed me with. And let me just tell you what's going on in my heart. You say, well, pastor, you just do that because you're a pastor. No, I have been doing this since I was seven when I gave my life to Christ. My mom and dad taught me this. So if I got a dollar, I gave a dime to Jesus because it was the first fruits, all right? It was my tithe. I learned that principle since I was seven. I've practiced it all my life. We've had eight kids. Things have been tight at times. But can I tell you, the first check we wrote was not for groceries, diapers, or any of that. The first check we wrote was to the Lord because I honor God. Yes. Amen. When I'm writing that check, it's not out of a sense of duty and obligation. Especially as I've gotten older, there's an incredible sense of joy in my heart. Sometimes I will take my check in my kitchen and I will wave it over my head. And I'll say, Father, you have blessed me all the days of my life. I have never gone without. I have never lacked. All I can do to this amazing king, as we sang this morning, is raise a hallelujah and return to you what you have already given to me. It's kind of like when your kids buy you a Christmas present with the money you just gave them. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You hand them the money, they buy you this gift, that whatever that little amount of money can provide. What is it when we give on Sunday? I'm giving back to the Lord what he already paid me for my allowance. And I'm doing it because how can I honor a king apart from honoring him with everything in my life, starting with, hear me, starting with my resources, that he blessed me with. Now listen, some of you are going, man, I don't know if we want to have any more kids. They're so expensive. You're thinking like Cain. 
The Bible doesn't say that. Don't have any kids. They're so expensive. I, can't, I never found that promise from God in the Bible. That's, that, 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 that whisper in your head, I'm talking to all these young Marys out here, that whisper in your head, how, 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 let me help you, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Do you know that God takes delight in providing for your family? Thomas, I'm looking at you and your beautiful bride. When did you guys start your family? How old were you? You were just a kid. Nineteen. And you've been faithfully pursuing your wife for how many years? 11 years. 11 years. And how many children do you have? Five. Hey, five kids in 11 years. How many of you know that is a fruitful man right there? <laughs> and, uh, and so here's the deal. I'm going to help you out. I never once had any thought about, like, planning my family. I just pursued my wife. When I pursued my wife, my family happened. It's amazing how that happened. <laughs> but I, I just kept pursuing. I mean, no, pursuing your wife is a godly thing. So I just kept pursuing my wife. And then these kids kept coming. You, you know what I'm talking about. And they do cost money. They do cost money. Kids cost money. But how many of you know God says your kids are a gift from, from him? And that they're, ready for this? They're a treasure. <laughs> that little money-sucking machine is a treasure. <laughs> and so I, I, seriously, I'm serious as I can be. Any of you that are young and you're starting off and you're going, oh, my gosh, well, we're going we're gonna to wait till our portfolio is in order before we have a family. You will be dead. You'll not, you won't have any kids. Stop it. That's not how it's supposed to work. You're young and in love. It's not, this is not like a spreadsheet, like you're going to figure out when you're going to conceive and all this stuff. Stop it. That ruins all the fun. Hey, we made, we made our financial goal, honey. Let's go. No, you don't do that. That's not romantic at all. Here's what I did. I took whatever income we had, and I took the first, and I took it to the Lord. And then God always met our needs. Let me tell you something else. Well, Pastor, who do you have on your leadership team? We don't have any Canes on our leadership team. Not a one. Only Abel's. Say, why is this church healthy? Only Abel's. Because listen to me, don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. I'm trying to help you. I'm helping you right now. Don't you be offended. The truest test of a man's faithfulness to God is not the profession from his lips, but the fruit of his accounts. If a man can't trust God with his finances... Why would I entrust him with you? That, that, that was really weak. That was really weak. You didn't get it. You are too valuable to put in the hands of leaders who are full of unbelief, but, but religious so nobody on our leadership team robs from God. It's a prerequisite because I want what's done here blessed, not cursed. And listen, because the calling's too valuable and because you're too valuable, God has entrusted us with you. So if you want to come over, any of you, 
and look at my check register, two houses down. I prefer you, I prefer you set up a time, but I'd be glad to show you my giving records over the years because you know what you'll see? A track record of honor because I believe this. I practice this. It's what helped me raise eight kids. It's what provided when, when we, things were tight and God always showed up. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. Now, if God was willing to give his first and his best for me, why am I offended when he asked me to do what he did for me? Am I crazy or something? Okay, now let me bring it down. You say, well, Pastor, you know, things are tight, and I, I would like to tithe, and I'd like to be more generous, but you don't understand things are tight. No, oh, no, I do. Let me help you. This is not magic. I wish I could just wave this magic supernatural gospel wand and pff, prosperity. Can I just end with this? Can you give me three minutes? Okay, I'm just being, making it personal. You have to prance practice good financial stewardship. So here's the point. You're saying, Pastor, we got no wiggle room in our budget. There's no way I can honor God with the first 10%. Oh, yeah, there is, but it's going to require some radical choices. Let me just tell you one of them. You might need to sell your house and downsize because you have too much house. That car that you're driving that's really, really nice, but it has a massive monthly payment, yeah, you might need to go back to a used car for a while to bring its things in order. Oh, you know, cable. Oh, pastor, we can't live without. Oh, yeah, you could live without cable. If your choice was honor God or have cable, what are you going to choose? Let me say that again. If your choice is honor God or have cable, what are you going to choose? It'll show, you how, it'll show me how serious you are about being blessed. Some people, you're so, you're, so, you're so nearsighted, you can't imagine what God's trying to bring you into because you, I can't live without Netflix. I mean, listen, you're going to stand before God someday, and you're not going to be up there with your TV channel changer. <laughs> God, I, I know you understand. Yeah, I do understand. He's really smart. He, he gets finances. He's trying to prosper you, but you won't honor him, so he can't prosper you, even though he wants to prosper you. So you know what you have to do? You got you to live on less so that you could honor God so that he can bless you. But some people aren't willing to make the adjustments, so listen, they just keep doing this. God understands. Excuses are the crutches of the enemy, all right? He'll fill you with excuses, and I hear Christians do this all the time. They, oh, the New Testament, all about love, all about grace. And that means I can do what I want, when I want, however I feel led. So, so here's my challenge to you. You can keep... Keep doing what you're doing. I, I just have invited you to the most amazing promise. And if any of you are mad at me, you're, you just missed the whole point of this message. Let me tell you why you're mad. You're mad because God's pushing your buttons. And because he's, he's, he's encouraging you to bring your house in order so that he can bless you and prosper you and protect you. I'm trying to see who believes me. There's one, there's one, there's one. So, okay, so this was a standalone message, which means if you come next week, I won't make you uncomfortable with this topic, all right? But we'll pick a new topic. 
All right. <laughs> Stand to your feet. And I want to pray. We have our leaders coming up front. Listen, if you're dealing with anxiety, especially in the area of finances, I just gave you the word of the Lord. It's not my opinion. It's not what I think. It's what God thinks. But he wants to break off of you fear and anxiety, especially as it relates just to life in general. Maybe it's financial squeeze. Understand God's wanting to enlarge you for his purposes. He's wanting you to have more than enough so you can bless other people and bless his purposes. And so if you need prayer, you're dealing with discouragement, depression, any of that stuff, don't leave here. That's from the enemy. Let God set you free this morning. Lord, thank you for these crazy, awesome promises. Thank you that you insult us. You insult our intelligence, Lord. You offend our minds. What kind of God would ask a widow with nothing to provide a meal for him. But that's exactly what you do because you're trying to bring us into a supernatural dimension of provision and protection. So, Lord, may the spirit of Cain be broken off of this house. God, may those who are struggling to obey, may they find courage today simply to honor you. And, Lord, may the blessings that followed Abel, even as his blood still speaks from the ground as a righteous, faithful man, Lord, may that be the testimony of each of us and of us corporately as living stones. May we move in faith and in righteousness. May we always be God-honoring. May we put you first in everything so that you bless us all the days of our lives. We give you the glory for it now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, we love you. Have an amazing week.